It's a nearly $50 billion industry. The biggest thing is the top five national players make up less than 4% of the industry revenue, right? So they're just not out there. The question becomes why, right? And that's because roofing does have some regionality to it. But when you talk about that low barrier to entry, high ticket, I don't have to be very sophisticated or big to get the results I want, right? People think of a roofer, you think of somebody who's a little rougher, probably a little scruffier. Maybe it looks like us here, Christian, but a little bit dirtier, maybe holes in your shirt, but you go, hey, I only need a couple of roofs a year to keep beer in the fridge and mortgage paid family happy. So there wasn't ever that desire for, hey, a higher level of customer service, a higher level of sophistication. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. All right, welcome to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. I'm Christian Dadalak. Today, it's solo episode. No Dan Claps here today, but we do have an amazing guest with us, Joshua Hoffman with Horsepower Brands and specifically working with Mighty Dog Roofing. Josh, welcome to the podcast, man. Wow, amazing guest. That's a heck of a lead, and I hope I can live up to that hype, but I appreciate you having me on here, Christian. Absolutely, man. Well, I'm a huge fan of Horsepower Brands, everything you guys are all doing there. We had Josh Skolnick, Zach Butler on the podcast, I want to say a few months ago. That was before I went to the Consultant Discovery Day, and I got to see the new headquarters and everything, which was remarkable. It was almost like Silicon Valley over there like a Silicon Valley like tech startup company with tons of employees, tons of square footage, so professional, super impressed. And so on the last podcast, we talked a lot about horsepower brands, obviously, and we could definitely touch on that today. And we'll also get an opportunity to hear about Mighty Dog. But before we even do that, I'd love to just get to know you a little bit, Josh, and hear about your background. And what we ask everyone every episode is, how did franchising find you? Because it often isn't the case where you search out how to become a franchise development representative or anything like that, or a franchise consultant. So how did franchising find you? How'd you get involved in the industry? Yeah, uh, that's, that's a great question. Uh, and that's how I know you guys are real at what you do, because that's the truth for anyone I talk to. Kind of, and it did find me. My memoir will say I'm some genius who found it and all these other things. But I stumbled <laughs> into it actually in college. I needed a job, right? I was a freshman in college. I needed something to both pay the bills. And I also wanted something that could pay for a little bit of beer money. Uh, so I started painting houses. Didn't realize I was working for a franchise and it was a struggling location, but it was the only job that said, hey, we'll give you 70 hours. And I was like, well, cool. I can work 70 hours. And that's awesome in today's you know, the economy as it was. Once I realized it was a franchise location and struggling, kind of worked my way up and was able to acquire the franchise. So I had some success, obviously some failures as I think every franchisee does over time, but really fell in love with it. One, because of just kind of the culture of the franchising family, the everybody wins mentality. But also at the time, it was something that I looked at and I said, okay, well, you know, I'm in my teens, early 20s. If franchising can help me, I, I wonder what it can do for, <laughs> for lack of a better way to say it, a competent person, right? Of someone who has some <laughs> skills. So it really opened some doors. I had done some operations, moved to another multi-brand franchisor. The time was just one and watched it grow. There, I worked in kind of the training department. So I had built out the different training systems for what came to be 10 different brands. So it was specifically in home services. So for me, it was a really cool opportunity to you know, see the synergies of how a certain business operates, but then also the nuance, right? Understanding that you know each brand needs a certain amount of knowledge, certain infrastructure, other than another concept or anything else. 
and that they could all still be equal and have their opportunities. So was there for a number of years, also ran a few of their brands. So through that, got an opportunity to lead some of those. Another, again, fantastic opportunity. But it was just time to pretty much part ways. I had run my course there. And I thought to myself, okay, I love this idea, right? As a franchisor, multiple brands, shared services, and really as a franchisee, stacking vertically rather than horizontally. You know, and through a mutual colleague, I actually got introduced to Horsepower. And I just started hearing kind of the stuff they're doing. And it was like, it was one of those, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, it's one of those, like, you sit up in your bed and you're like, man, that's a good idea. Someone should do that. And I was like, <laughs> oh, you're doing that. That makes a lot of sense. And all of a sudden, it was very different. And it was one that I kind of got, same impression you got when I came on about six months ago. I thought these guys were crazy. And I say that because I walked in the building at the time. We had about 30 franchisees. And we had 75 people in the building. I remember thinking to myself, because you know I'm not the brightest in the world, I was like, I'll help these guys out. Like, hey, you shouldn't have more full-time staff than franchisees. And their answer was different than anybody else, which was, no, we absolutely should, just no one is. And so it was one that blew me away of like the franchise focused, how many people here were formerly franchisees. And then obviously the vision of what's going on in the last six months, everybody's got a vision and their ability to execute. It's really blown me away. And now I'm here in Omaha. So <laughs> I think that speaks more than itself at our head office and love everything I've gotten to do here and get to go from the outside and now onto the development side has been a lot of fun. That's amazing, man. One of the big things I love about Horsepower Brands is the fact that I think that you guys are all just really elevating the standards for the entire industry. Like you just said, having a tremendous amount of support staff and a lot of other brands, it's the mindset can be, well, we want to make sure that we want to make money, right? So we don't want to have all of these payroll costs, all these people we're employing. But what I love so much about Horsepower Brands is the fact that you guys really do start with, it's franchisee focused. You start with, what is the number one thing we're here to do, which is to create successful franchisees. If we do that, we win the mission. We make money, they make money. Everybody's happy. And I think you guys do that tremendously well. So if you could touch on a little bit about so much of the vertical integration that Horsepower Brands has, and the support structures, because I know there's Franchise Rocket, there's a million other verticals you guys have to support the franchisees. So can you kind of touch on those briefly so that the audience can get a sense of what support level you guys all provide? Yeah. So you talk about that elevation. I had that feeling too. It makes like, I'm thinking to years ago when Chick-fil-A came out and they like, they take your tray and everyone's friendly. And now you go into a Wendy's and they're bringing out food. You're like, it just raises the bar. And part of that isn't just like the model and infrastructure support of your full-time staff, right? When you talk about a franchise or you have to have vendors in some capacity. So for us, you know, there are some great vendors out there. Mighty Dog will probably, shouldn't say never, we, we'll probably not start a, you know, roofing supplying company or a shingle manufacturer. There's some great partners out there that we use. When you talk about the everyday, I think twofold for our vision, it was important to bring it in-house. One is so that they were shared, right? Because if I can go out and find a bookkeeper or a digital marketing service or a recruiter, they can all be good on their own. But again, that recruiter I use for a Mighty Dog who can attract the type of talent we need or specific skill sets we're looking for might not be so great with our other brand, right? So they don't have that learn and don't see that. So one, it was that, okay, these shared services as a franchisee, I stack brands. I'm using the same services and I know they can execute because they have more information was really important to us. Because again, that's where we go back to the vision of stacking is beautiful, right? On paper, home services, same end user. Then you go back and go, hey, are they always the same infrastructure? For us, again, that second brand, 
for an owner becomes much easier because I'm using again the same services. I don't have to get acclimated to that, right? So it really then allows a franchisee to have hockey stick growth. But I think the second part of that is shared information, mm. right? So when you look at that, right, your marketing company is not going to talk to your recruit, right? Your recruiter is not going to talk to your bookkeeping service. So even if I have great vendors who aren't in-house, what starts to happen is they don't communicate and I become the person who has to process the information. And I better hope that data and information I'm getting is good. And I mean, truthfully, anyone who's ever used any service before, you go, okay, what am I really getting? What does this really mean? And is the information accurate? So internally, I kind of use, maybe it's an unfair term, but we almost operate then in an agile form because our recruiting firm can speak to our digital marketing firm. Our digital marketing firm can uh, speak to our bookkeepers internally at ZBooks. So that all of a sudden you're starting to talk about, okay, well, initial search term, how many you know, leads does it convert? Well, talking to the bookkeeper, I can actually see which of those leads that I generated at my marketing firm were the most profitable. Well, now I can go back to a franchisee and say, hey, better data, this is going to lead to better results. Let's do this. And then it becomes repeatable. So it's one that shared information makes everybody better. And very quickly, we can adjust to those lagging indicators by having that internal. So right now it is Franchise Rocket, which is a full-scale digital marketing agency. We have over 75 employees there. We have Recruit Z, who is a fully staffed both for labor and full-time staff recruiting firm. So we'll talk at some point probably a little bit more about them. We have ZBooks, who does all of our franchisees' books, keep those intact in-house. And then on top of that, we will just launch ZLogic, which is our national dashboard to connect those numbers for franchisees. And then we have a few others in the pipeline that'll be coming down the road. And of course, Powerhouse Call Solutions, which is an inbound, outbound, 24-7 operation that, again, for our franchisees are trained in their industry. So they get that kind of local office feel with the results of a nationally backed company. So call, text, email are doing a lot of cool things. There's some, between all that, again, our vision of truly building an empire or truly being custom term set that semi-absentee owner, I now have that true infrastructure to be able to do that and just drive the KPI. So those are some, again, there's a lot on the horizon, but those are just a few that we started to venture into and there's going to be more on the way. I love that. I love how data-driven it is. I love the fact that you can communicate because that communication is everything. We were talking about before the podcast even started that a lot of franchisors will use third-party vendors to support their franchisees. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But one of the drawbacks naturally is, like you had mentioned, they're not communicating with one another. They're not sharing data. You don't see... If I pull this lever over here, it's going to make this change over here. And that's all absolutely critical in terms of supporting the franchisee. So really what it sounds like is you guys get the phones to ring. You help to get the phones to ring for the franchisee. You have powerhouse call solutions, if I right. Yeah. Answers the phones, helps to sell and book some jobs, I imagine, in some cases, right? Or are they just answering the phone? Yeah. So they actually, for certain brands, my dog is one that... It- takes a little bit more in person. You can't give an over-the-phone quote, but for many of our brands right, right. like Heroes, they can actually see the square footage of the lawn, figure out the service that's needed, and actually sell the job. Same thing for Blingle, where anything I can do that people want a one-click buy, those agents are actually more salespeople than they are call center reps. It's incredible. So it depends on the brand, of course, but generally speaking, you get the phones to ring, have someone that answers the calls, franchisee has their team, goes out there, does the work, once that work comes in, once they get paid, help them manage the books, help them find their staff, right? I mean, you're doing all of that. It's incredible. It's one that I look at and you talk about being data-driven. I think that's where Horsepower is really taking even the next step, right? Because KPIs are important. Any CEO, anybody will tell you, know your numbers, all those things backwards. 
But there's a secondary number that for a lot of new business owners, and that's what for most of our owners are first-time business owners, right? Or at least first-time franchisees. It's then the data behind it to go search out, okay, well, how do I fix the problem? For most, as a franchisee, I'm on my own. But I speak to one like the dashboard, I can see very quickly nationally, how are my sales reps doing? Well, I can see sales rep one is doing well, sales rep two is struggling. Typically, I'd have to go figure out why, right? Is he the right fit? You know, what's going on with us? Again, the next level is we have a presentation tool in our sales software that marks how long that salesperson is actually using it. So I can very quickly go in and say, hey, you're not using the sales tool. You're using it for four minutes, an estimate. Well, now as somebody who's putting, again, as an owner who wants to put in 15, 20 hours, I can make that deduction in 15 seconds because I logged into my ZLogic dashboard and went, yep, 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 and work backwards. I mean, it becomes that simple. And I always hate buzzwords, but it is about as turnkey as you really can get in the ability to provide information. And that, I think, is a really important thing to scale quickly. Absolutely. So it sounds like for the most part, and we'll get into exactly what the owner's roles are, what the responsibilities are, but a lot of it really sounds like it's just keeping an eye on those KPIs and looking at that KPI dashboard that you guys have all built out and figuring out what needs to be tweaked to drive additional revenue, cut costs, and ultimately have that float to the bottom line. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, maybe we're oversimplifying. I don't think we are, Christian, because it's almost simple math, right? Like, does this make money? Is it repeatable? And then what influences that? And at the end of the day, I'm also, again, a good business owner taking care of things like taking care of people, my people, and again, just being a good business owner. I'm going to have a ton of success, but it is that simple to go. This action results in this movement, which means this, right? And you can see that all beforehand. And all of a sudden, we talk about the pulling the levers. I'm not pulling a lever then figuring out what happened. And I know what's going to happen beforehand because it's been tracked and it's repeated. That's fantastic. Well, that's all obviously critical. I think what we can shift to now then is actually talking about Mighty Dog. So obviously, Horsepower Brands has many amazing home services brands. You work with Mighty Dog Roofing. So what's the quick pitch there? What is Mighty Dog? How do they make money? Why Mighty Dog? Yeah, I laughed because someone asked me that once. And it's the first answer that came to my brain. It's just, you know, everybody's got a roof. That's really the simple where we looked at first and foremost. Okay, that was why it was our pillar brand. I think a couple other big ones. And again, we're a full exterior service. So we focus on roof replacement and repair. We also do gutter, siding, windows. And then quarter four of this year, we're rolling out solar. So let's kind of touch on that in a little bit here and why we're doing that. But it was really attractive to us to be the pillar for two reasons. One is the ticket signs. And that's what blew me away. I mean, when you're talking about a roof, you're talking about five digits to start. And I think one of the big misses in franchising as a whole is just everybody wants to focus on a big bottom line. I got to have a big top line to do that. So again, a big ticket means less moving parts, simpler jobs. Again, it's a one day, hey, take off and replace. Where typically when you talk about jobs that are in the tens of thousands, you're thinking of multi-day, multi-weeks, a lot of project management where roofing just really isn't that. And then the gap in the industry really was customer service, sophistication, and marketing. So for us, we said, okay, well, those are all the things we know how to do really well. People nowadays are used to, you hear the horror stories on the news, you hear, you know, guys just throwing shingles off or bringing a hammer up, destroying the roof, promising a free roof. <laughs> well, that's great. But that's what we said. Let's turn this into a residential retail model, right? Let's focus on folks. It's not nearly as an insurance-driven market as folks tend to think. Because again, you get that done once for quote-unquote free, your premiums goes up. You don't get to do that again for 25 years. So customers now are more educated than ever to be able to do a quick internet search saying, 
oh, this is actually going to cost me more money through my insurance. I'm going to go Google. I'm going to go find a local roofer. And for Mighty Dog to be able to instill that goes a long way. So again, our major services there, we've got, again, a lot of success as this type of industry, what that gap it needs. is really filled by CEOs, by marketing people, by business professionals. So it was fascinating to me. Zero of our owners, and we're now over 250 units system-wide as of yesterday, which is very exciting, have zero roofing background. I mean, it's a simple model. Like, there's some things you look at that have technical complications in industries. It does not take a rocket scientist to figure out how to nail a, sh- you know, a shingle into the roof. So there's a lot of good labor out there, and it's a very easy industry to learn. It's really about mastering the things behind. So it's where I felt really fell in love with roofing as I started to learn about it, because it was one of the few home services I didn't have a background in. And I looked at my like, again, soccer for horsepower and mighty dog. I'm like, man, this makes too much sense. <laughs> and I think that's really where we changed some things, right? One of the reasons we included siding, gutters, windows, and then solar, or at least those first three, was one that you said, well, if there were ever a downside of roofing, what would it be? Well, short of a storm, I don't see my customers for a lot of years at a time. Well, now being able to do siding, windows, gutters, doors, that home's on a cycle. So I'm retargeting you every two, three years for getting the next piece you need, as well as when somebody comes in and goes, new home buyers, hey, gut it, I want all new everything. It's not, I don't have to hopefully hire 15 contractors. I got one mighty dog who can do it all outside. And again, similar labor pools, similar margins. So at the end of the day, it made all the sense in the world for us. One of the things I like, well, there's always a trade-off. I mean, recurring revenue can be very, very sexy, but in many cases, and it depends on the industry, of course, but a lot of the time, it seems like it's lower ticket items, right? So you need to have a bunch of customers to really drive some serious revenue. And there's a ramp up period where it takes quite some time to build that customer base. Whereas something that's more of a high ticket sale, you don't need a million and one customers to really drive some pretty impressive revenue. So having a high ticket sale like that, it's like, yeah, you're not seeing your customers all that often, but there are plenty of customers to see. And you do have those additional revenue streams to come back in there and offer those additional services, like you had mentioned. But high ticket items, it gives you the ability to reach cash flow positivity quicker, a break even point quicker in many cases. So I think that is hugely important. So anything you want to say regarding that? I mean, it goes back to right. Like I remember my first couple of weeks here, I hear somebody go, Hey, somebody produced three jobs this week. Isn't that awesome? I'm like, well, that not even one a day. Then I start thinking about it. I'm like, oh, geez, that's almost 40 grand in revenue. And go start doing the math. You go, oh my gosh, that's kind of where the numbers that you've seen. And I think even more for the targeting is as really home ownership changes, right? More people own more units, right? Have a rental home, want to get into that space where you go, yeah, you only have one roof, but one in every three of your customers who want to work with the Mighty Dog and say, you know what? I have these four rental properties. It's how I start to build those. And then it becomes that cascading waterfall of self-sufficiency without, again, the very, very heavy marketing end that you need to get a business started out. So again, that was more iteration on the same end. It, it just makes a lot of sense at the end of the day. Absolutely. So one of the biggest questions, and I know we touched on this with Franchise Rocket, but if we could dive a little bit deeper, I think that would be helpful because one of the number one questions anyone wants to know is, where the heck am I going to get my customers from? How are we finding these people? So can you touch on that? What is the strategy there? What does that look like when you're first getting the business? out of the gates, ramping up. And then once you're at cruising altitude, what does that look like for marketing? Yeah. And that's a great way you phrase it because I think one of the oversights in any business is that marketing strategy should change over time, right? And if it does stay the same, like 
anybody who tells you, oh, we're doing our yearly market review, you're like, you're going to be behind and then almost immediately be behind. So again, early on, just kind of in buckets, you're going to be very paid heavy, right? Because typically you think of a roofing company, you think of, oh, word of mouth, you know, pass on, all that's a great strategy, right? So there's right ways to implement that systematically, but I still have to have that first customer for that to happen, right? I have to be able to give a quote for the neighbor to walk up and ask for a quote. So that's something that we do implement in the organic end. Still things like print marketing and even canvassing is a small portion of what we do, right? Because it still works, but it takes time. So mm-hmm. then it gets into what kind of the ground and air game of, okay, those paid, people love to say print marketing's dead, not the case, right? Things like direct mailers, billboards, those type of things work. Valpacks all certainly work in that end. So it's getting those out and knowing that those are going to drip in over time. And then very early, it's all about, again, third-party aggregates, and then the different things within paid and organic search. So with Franchise Rocket, they're focusing heavily on SEO and PPC, as well as some programmatic over time. I think one of the cool things that's coming to roofing, geofencing is coming to roofing, and we've got some data within there. But I can then, again, push dollars in, know I'm getting a lead one-for-one quality results to get in the door. And Franchise Rocket is so vital in the roofing space specifically, because it is one of the most competitive digital industries out there. So again, we have to be on point with our search terms. You need that kind of team behind you. Can't just enter into the space. So again, it's things of the long game that we're constantly working on SEO, but it's the right things with SEO, right? Where I think SEO in the past has gotten a bad name just because there's so many agencies are out there who are, you know, charging a thousand bucks a month and said, I wrote you another blog. Isn't that enough? And you're like, that's not actually driving SEO. So that's again, things that Franchise Rocket really understand, especially at a local and then semi-regional level. As well as then, of course, your pay-per-click ads coming in. And even things like third-party aggregates, you think of the big ones, the Angie's Home Advisor, Thumbtack, I could probably get in trouble for saying this way, but you know, it's a necessary evil. So that's something that my dog was able to go and do and negotiate actually per estimate pricing, not per lead, to make sure you were getting a qualified customer and not some of the garbage that, again, your, your truck in a truck can get. So again, then once I enter the door, it's, all right, how do I network in addition to things like BNI? And then it's a shift. So the beautiful part in our scale ultimately is that it gives an owner a choice at any point because I start my business at very heavy paid, very low organic. And then all of a sudden it starts to even out. It evens out. And now I have that dashboard where I'm seeing that happen. Well, now I'm seeing an equilibrium point, right? Causation, not correlation. And I'm starting to see, well, I should say both. Now all of a sudden I have a choice, which is, okay, do I want to focus profit heavy? Do I want to start to wean out my marketing budget and really start to focus on heavy profitability? Or again, a large majority of our owners do You see that trajectory happening and you say, great, I'm going to bring on another salesperson. I'm going to reinvest. And now all of a sudden, great, I'm back to heavy paid and I'm here. But guess what? My top line revenue is much bigger. And then all of a sudden I can keep doing that till I reach a point to say, you know what? This attains my goals at the end of the day. It goes from there. So the other one I also say on that organic end is, sounds like we're not very data-driven which is far from the truth. So one of the interesting ones of our acquisition that we've taken from our sister brands is a national permit database. So the founder of that brand, and I had no idea about this, is that anytime a new home is built or a major renovation is done, a permit has to be filed. That information is publicly available. So that founder, before he was working with us, would just go to the courthouse every month, pull those documents and get in with new builders and also do local research, right, of what's going on in the area. So of course, Zach and Josh, because they are who they are, invested about $200,000 into a database that every week and every county in the United States pulls every permit into a database so I can see it at my current location. So for someone like a Mighty Dog who's saying, 
you know, canvassing. I don't know if I want to send my sales guy to knock on doors. That's what we're avoiding. Well, no, what you actually do first is you go into that database and you say, hey, for whatever reason, this neighborhood has 15 bathroom renovations going on. Oh, new money's moving in. These are people who likely need my services. Again, my sales team, my canvassers are much happy. I'm getting much quicker results. So it goes back to even something as simple as knocking on doors has the science behind it. And again, we're constantly evaluating because, I mean, marketing is the lifeblood of your business. So why we've heavily invested and why we're so heavily focused on it for a mighty dog. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button. And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. I love it. I mean, being super targeted like that is just going to help improve results. It's not a shot in the dark where you're praying and hoping and, man, I hope that this canvassing strategy works. And canvassing does work. I used to do door-to-door sales back in the day, so I get it. it. It works. It does work. But having that targeting behind it, knowing which neighborhoods, which areas to focus on is obviously going to help a ton. So I think that's smart. When I go back to that's the last one we talked about, we're not, we're very retail residential focused. There is an insurance game, right? But the biggest one is it's moving away from that. But for us, we look at it like icing. So rather than just kind of leave our owners, you know, sheep to the wolves and go, hey, good luck in making this happen. These insurance agents don't love always paying things out in full can become complicated. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> so you go back and you go, well, what did we do? Well, we started an in-house claims supplementation team so that I know all are either public adjusters or have a very heavy background in that sector. Again, I get that. I still want to take advantage of it, right? And I say advantage of it. We're, hey, they're getting that money. Hey, I get to be the hero locally. Mrs. Jones, you might be able to get approved for more. Let me send it to our team of supplementers who then can go to your agent. That's why as an owner, I go back and said, hey, we got you an extra 20% on what you didn't think you were going to get. You're definitely doing the work for me. As an owner, it is really just gravy at Thanksgiving where you go, hey, we look at that on top of all the normal things we do, which again, it's how you go from, hey, the year you plan to an even better, greater year, just because you're doing those little things over and over. I love that, man. So let's shift gears a little bit because one of the other considerations people think about, a lot of pushback is people think, well, roofing, I mean, it's not exactly like a new industry. There's got to be so many people that do it. It's got to be saturated. There's so many people that do it. So Touch on what the competition looks like a little bit. What does that landscape look like? I mean, because the industry itself is very fragmented, but can you touch on the industry fragmentation and what kind of opportunity that provides? Yeah. So I go stats on you. It's a nearly $50 billion industry. The biggest thing is the top five national players make up less than 4% of the industry revenue, right? So they're just not out there. The question becomes why, right? And that's because roofing does have some regionality to it. But when you talk about that low barrier to entry, high ticket, I don't have to be very sophisticated or big to get the results I want, right? People think of a roofer. You think it's somebody who's a little rougher, probably a little scruffier. Maybe it looks like us here, Christian, but a little bit dirtier. <laughs> maybe it holds in your shirt, but you go, hey, I only need a couple of roofs a year to keep beer in the fridge and mortgage paid family happy. So there wasn't ever that desire for, hey, a higher level of customer service, a higher level of sophistication. So I put the competition right now kind of in three buckets of where it's gone. And the first is, i.e. the proverbial chuck in the truck, right? And there's some good, there's some bad. The problem is, is even those who are trying to do good, unfortunately, aren't systematically built, right? It's somebody who, my aunt, my uncle, friend of the family did this, now I'm doing this. But do they make mistakes because they want to? No, most aren't actually out there to screw the customer. There are some bad companies out there, but it's because, hey, I didn't have a systemized estimating process. So guess what? I didn't check if you had underlayment. I didn't check in your attic to see if you have moisture issues. 
So all of a sudden I rip off your roof and Christian, I come back and go, hey, we realized these other 10 things were wrong. By the by, it's going to be another 10 grand. So it's where roofing, even for those good folks who are, again, doing good and just saying, hey, we, we tore this off, it happened. Customer goes, this is a horrible experience for me. And it's been voted the least trusted industry in home services five of the last 10 years. So that would be one bucket. The next would be, again, your more sophisticated mom and pops. That's typically who our heavy competition is, someone at the local level who's figured it out but hasn't done it systematically through technology. And a lot of these companies don't get really larger than citywide or I'll call it semi-regional. Because for every salesperson, I need a production manager, this or that. And all of a sudden, as I grow those teams, more layer of leadership, the pie shrinks and eventually an owner says, well, why would I get any bigger if the economy is a scale? Right? And it's because they haven't put it into systemized technology to be able to grow that in a bigger way. So that's who we really compete with. And the comparison even for them is they run into the same chuck in the truck mistakes of they're not heavily invested in technology. It's really that they're long-standing in the community versus our technology, our processes, and really our customer service to say, hey, and there are enough roofs out there. So it's where you can say these companies can also exist. There's plenty of pie out there. And then the third, I almost act as plus one, just because it is so dying. And that is the storm chasers of the world. That really started to peak out. And not that it doesn't exist today, but late 2000s, early 2010s, a magical thing happened in our society is that the internet went everywhere. And it went in our hand, our pockets. So now all of a sudden, it's not, I don't have to watch the news or log into my MySpace to see some of these things going on. Now I see it on my phone every day. So when someone again knocks on the door, you know the horror stories. People are just very skeptical, right? Of, hey, I'm going to get you a free roof. So chasing those storms make people hyper-nervous. The other one is, hey, here today, gone tomorrow. Well, I'm off to the next storm. What happens if I have X, Y, or Z? Well, again, for us, a mighty dog, you go with that. We're here to then help clean up the mess. So for us, it's almost this nice little lead generation source to go, I want you to take care of homes, but you know, as a business owner, man, thanks for not doing a good job because now I have a customer for life in the way we're doing it. So that landscape, again, it is highly fragmented. The other that we really focus on is the residential sector. The baseball analogy uses, it's the singles and doubles. High profitability, high ticket, where again, those mom and pops aren't as plentiful because they end up in the commercial space. You get tempted by very, very large tickets, hundreds of thousands, but you don't consider, again, of course, that's a much lower margin, a lot longer production period. And then you think about payouts, 60, 90, 120 days in the commercial space. I better be able to float those projects on a day-to-day level. So again, that competition typically likes to go there because they're tempted by that big ticket. So for us, it's that same homeowner, same model who values the same thing, which is customer service. And really at the end of the day, answering the phone. So it's where we lie. Uh, again, it's where we can come in. And the other beautiful part is there's nobody in the industry who's nailing on shingles different than anyone else. It's just the truth of the matter. You can get different grades and we get much better pricing on it. But at the end of the day, it is about how do you clean up? How do you communicate? Did you pay attention to the needs and the flower beds and X, Y, and Z? And that's the thing through our technology that you can mark every single time. So you have that repeatedness. Kind of where that landscape looks in the long term. And as we continue to grow, we really want to do that in the solar space because that solar space is they're ready for someone like a Mighty Dong and the technology is now there. So it's, we're really excited about that. That's fantastic, man. One thing you mentioned briefly at the end there was the technology that you guys all have at Mighty Dog. And I think that's another thing that really separates you from a lot of the, well, definitely the chuck in the truck, but also a lot of those more regional players. You guys have amazing technology. So touch on like the drones and how you do the estimates and all that. It's super cool. Yeah. I'm going to say something that sounds kind of 
it's going to contradict itself, right? Is that technology is super vital for scalability, but it's also supplementary to processes, right? Mm. I think one of the things that gets overlooked in any industry is like, oh, we just got this magic secret sauce of piece of technology. There's nothing out there, right, that does that or everyone would be doing it, right? But you have to have it and then also know how to use it on top. So something like the drone scan, again, we're flying a drone over the house. This is not a Christmas present. This is a high-tech top-of-the-line drone. I'm scanning the roof all the way from just taking the measurements to actually I can create a 3D rendering of the roof. So I can see, okay, what does this look like? What are all the valleys? What needs to be done? And it picks up to a grain of sand level of detail so that when I have these imperfections, I don't have to have the best salesperson in the world or know much about roofing. The drone tells me, hey, red spot, something's wrong. Check it out, right? So on top of that, we use things like the moisture meter, the infrared camera, all these little details that give us a full scope picture now. I feel like you know, you're know you on a CSI episode with a board pinned everywhere when we do this because it's like, oh, cool. This leads me to understanding exactly what's going on. It's not, okay, yeah, here's the measurement. Here you go. Let's actually solve the problem. So those are kind of the beginning. Obviously, we have top-of-the-line estimating software that lifetime feeds uh, pricing from our vendors and pricing in the given area, right? I might own a territory that has vastly different wealth gaps. So I might be charging something different in this county and this county. Again, it's going to automatically pick that up, sort of pricing accurately. And then it's feeding into that presentation tool, which, again, the customer is then literally clicking through like an a la carte buffet. Yes, I want this. Yes, I want this. Yes, I want this. So it's not the, I mean, I use the example, it's why people are buying cars from vending machines on Carvana. I don't want to have to deal with the salesperson telling me, hey, this car is a 14.7 volt liter mega battery that you're going to really like. I'm like, I don't know what that means. And nor do I trust you. Same thing here where a salesperson can use this technology to say, hey, you've clicked through this. By the by, do you know what this means? Well, no, I just like, okay, now let's go focus on that. It's that really high level customer service focused sale. And then it goes back to that it's system, right? As an owner, I can track every one of my salespeople. You didn't just go out and hand a quote, right? And I used to laugh because when I ran the painting business, there's nothing that scared me more than having my guys go out and do a Saturday morning appointment. And we were using like carbon copy sheets of paper. I love Saturday morning appointments. 7 a.m., if you're meeting me with 7 a.m., you're buying, right? So I love that. But I'm in college. The guys I hired were in college. I'm like, I wonder how many light beers they had on a Friday night. They misjudged. I'm in a lot of trouble, right? It's my bottom line. So that technology as an owner now is I can very quickly look at the KPIs, know that the results are going to be systemized. They can't not use the drone. They can't not use the estimating software. They can't not prevent through the tool. So again, that sales skill allows somebody who wants to be in a growing organization and get that type of role. It gives them a very high floor, but also in a very high ceiling, right? When we go back to it and as an owner, Again, I know it's systemized. I don't have to worry about it. And I can go back and track to my numbers because I've got that dashboard to go, hey, I know if it's off this data range, something's not being done properly in my process, which means I can influence that number much more quickly. So that technology, again, you talk to a customer. I mean, let's be real. We're all kind of kids on the inside. The drone is just freaking cool because you go out and you go, wow. 100%. Same thing with the marketing, right? I laughed. One of our owners in the Northeast said, you know, and first time talking to him, said, Josh, I'm I'm really nervous about the safety of our brand. I'm like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? He's like, kids chase around the Mighty Dog logos when I'm in the neighborhood. They like chase after me like I'm the ice cream man. It's starting to get dangerous because again, you go back to the very comic book style cartoon marketing, all things that play in that bring in customers the way that we see it. So it's again, all part of a greater whole of each of these pieces. Fantastic. 
So at the end of the day, you have the marketing, you have the support, you have the technology. So now we got to get the franchisee, right? So who is the ideal candidate? Who's the franchisee that you guys are after? What type of skills, background do they need to have? Obviously, they don't need to have roofing experience, but what do they need to have? Well, I'd say, Christian, if you can't edit over, just edit my Venmo, because I'm sure people will hear this and say, I want this. Just Venmo me straight. I'll make it happen. (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs) It's important to go through this process and work with folks like you to make sure it's the right fit. But really, we're looking for number one empire builders, right? So folks who want to go out there and do more, if you want to buy yourself a job, probably not the right fit for you, number one. Number two, like just talking backgrounds would be anything with business skills. We have everything from CPAs, former lawyers and attorneys doctors. You know, we have somebody who does motorcycle tours of America. That's what he was doing before this. So there's no one background, but really, again, it's high leadership ability, the ability to hold accountability and really understand numbers. And then really the last one I would say would be attitude, which is true of any franchise system I've been in there. Some of us are very numbers focused, right? Glass half full is great. The glass can even be eight ounces, but the glass can't be half empty, right? Because it's why it needs a local owner and great entrepreneurs like we have and ones that, are, that we're going to have in the future. Folks who say, hey, I'm going to figure out the problems. I'm going to use all these systems and technology. But at the end of the day, it's my business. I'm going to grow it and I have the back end support to do it to whatever range I so desire. So I'd say that's really kind of the ideal folks we're looking for. It's positive attitude, strong business skills. And then at the end of the day, the desire to do it. Yeah. And they want to be the 800 pound gorilla in the market. They want to take it over, right? I've never seen anyone accidentally someone being the 800-pound gorilla, right? It takes that focus and that drive, absolutely. I love it. So what is that person doing day-to-day? Obviously, they're not the ones replacing roofs and working with shingles and all of that. So what are they doing, right? I mean, what does their day-to-day look like? You don't have to walk me through their morning routine or anything. But like, when they get to the office, what are they doing? And what are they doing by the time they leave? What do the schedule look like on a day-to-day basis? Any insight there? Yeah, so I'd say we have, and again, we always want to move towards an what we'll call a semi-absentee model where the owner is working on the business, but not in one of the day-to-day roles. That said, there's something wrong with early on in your business being an owner-operator and filling one of the roles. So I'd say it varies on the kind of team you have, but if you talked about overall, and our system's about 50-50 with owner-operator, semi-absentee, all moving towards that semi-absentee end is your morning's just making sure things are ready to go, right? The beautiful part of roofing is that these are planned projects. So Not to say that there aren't always hiccups, things you have to get over, but it's very well planned out, right? Where, hey, the material's there. Did the subcontractor show up? Great. It's good to go. So, hey, does my production manager know where he's going in the morning? I'm checking in there. I'm checking in with my sales team, right? Whether that's via phone or in person. Hey, are you guys ready to go for your appointments? You get free actual loaded pictures. You get all the information from the call center. Do you want to discuss any of the strategies or anything you want to go after? It's then typically a look at doing a little bit of forecasting in the numbers. And then what I'll call that middle to part of the day can be all sorts of things, right? So, hey, you know what? I've never actually met one of my customers. Let me go shake their hand to see how the project is doing. I don't want to say you're shaking hands and kissing babies, but nearly so, right? Let's just, hey, what's going on in the day-to-day of my business? And for those who are kind of out of the day-to-day, just keeping a pulse on the business, right? I'm talking to my general manager. The general manager is doing that in my stead, as well as networking, right? Those networking groups like BNI, Chamber of Commerce. I want to be a part of those in the local community. That's how I drive that organic marketing. And then I'm also working with corporate, right? What are the long-term goals, right? I'd say daily, if you're not saying, hey, what is my end of year goal? How does that play into my end of month goal? And then how does that play in our weekly, daily, now hourly goal? 
It's saying, all right, now what things do I have to do next? And does this make sense? And I think really our best owners are always, and I use the term innovating in a bubble because the best owners follow the process, but the process is not, Simon says, when you say raise your right hand, the answer is, hey, you got to get your arm up. The arm has to get up for this to work. And now all of a sudden our owners can get creative by saying, hey, I'm doing this a little bit differently, but it works for my team, right? I'm testing things out because again, as a growing system, we're truly, any financial system is a hive mind, right? So the more things you're doing, making minor changes, and then very quickly analyzing what that does allows for more rapid growth, really that agile format, which again, our owners would make sense are behind in the same way we are. So on top of that, it'd really be a lot of networking, tracking numbers, and an occasion, again, getting involved in the day-to-day and figuring out, again, how to scale. But that is what you'll see most of our owners doing. And then obviously, owner-operator, I'm seeing a lot more of in-the-field work, where a lot of owners have the time. It's never a wrong time to be in the field side-by-side with the team. Amen. It sounds like for the most part, it's someone that wants to work on the higher level operations, work on the business, not in it. We've all heard that a thousand times, but that is the goal. And to truly eventually graduate to a point where you can have a semi-absentee ownership role and have some more time freedom, have a business that can run more or less on its own. Of course, you still have to be involved. But how semi-absentee can it truly be, do you think? I'm a big believer that no business is ever going to be absentee. I agree. No matter what. So the question is, how semi-absentee do you want to be? What availability of time do I want to put in? And what kind of impact do I think I can make? For a lot of our owners, that somebody comes in and says, well, I want to keep my current job, but eventually I'll get in to the business. I actually almost push back because I've seen too many times an owner gets involved, you know, hey, when you were putting in 15 hours, your business was far better than you're involved 40 hours. Please get out of your own way, which <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, I've been one of them before, right? It was an owner who got in my own way. So I look and we say, okay, well, what makes sense for you? And that's where really the horsepower effect comes in, which is, hey, don't go influence your business. You've actually built this great car, this great vehicle. Go start the second vehicle. Go stack that. Maybe it's the time for the next brand, things of that nature. So when I look at it, it really comes down to skill set and ability to execute. What is your desire as an owner in the business of how many hours that is? And then obviously, what's best for the health of the business? I think all those things come and play in. Long term. So I mean, we see folks who are doing 20, 30 hours. We see folks who are doing 15. We see folks who are not in the day to day, but choose to do 40 hours. Right. And then some would say, Hey, I want to do 60. I want to be the GM. There is nothing wrong with that really in any level, because I think Zach says it best here. We're the widget, right? Your job is to provide your why as an owner. And that widget then can deliver what you're looking for. And that's what you should be looking for in any sort of franchise. And that's what Mighty Dog can really be for really anybody and anything you're looking for. I love it. Well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate all the insight here. One last question I want to have before we wrap up was about the recession-resistant nature of Mighty Dog, for example, because I'm not here to speculate or anything like that. But I think if you look at a lot of the market fundamentals and the way that things are going, we're likely walking into some type of a recession. I don't know the depth and the intensity of the recession, but the consensus at this point seems to be that we're walking into a recession. So a lot of people find comfort if they are going to start a business with getting involved in an industry that does have some type of recession resistance to it. So can you touch on how recession resistant would you say Mighty Dog is and why? Yeah, I think it's important to answer that question with just kind of a slight history of where we're at, right? And that's just because I started my business in 2010 and we were still in kind of the heart of what was going on with the housing crisis. It was still after we were recovering, but we're still in the heart of that. So I didn't start it. Again, my memoir will say that it was a genius thing to do. 
I just didn't know any better of how bad it really was. Now seeing what's happened, a couple things has happened with homeowners. PTSD of homes losing in value is mostly gone, right? New homeowners are in. It's now been almost 14, 15 years since that's happened. So you just don't see people going, if I invest in this, is this going to be a zero, right? Which back then it was. And we realize now again, most is that it was an economical anomaly. And I was, maybe that's not the right word, but just it was a one-time thing specifically we knew why looking back. So that fear is gone. If anything, the last two years has showed us that people want to invest in their home, being trapped in there for some time, that there still is value there, now ready to move on. And the other one we talked twofold about roofing is you can't sit there and go, hey, I'm going to wait on the roof, right? It's a need where even industries that have some need to them, you can go, hey, you know, I'm going to push this off another year, this off another year. Starts leaking. You're going, I got to do this thing one way or another. And then the second portion of that comes into the different financial backers of the roofing industry, right? So if I'm an industry that's solely reliant on Christian, your income, right? Something happens to the economy. This can be very scary. So, okay, you have to do it. But if you have no money, it doesn't matter <laughs> if you have to do it or not. So for roofing, it's very unique is the different lines, right? So of course you have the insurance end where again, if I have any sort of mortgage on my home, I have home insurance. All right. I have that insurance as well. On top of that, we help educate customers on things like line of credits for home improvements, right? The bank has money in that. It's an asset. Are they going to let their asset go? Right. So they're actually very forgiving and very lenient outside of extreme circumstances to hey, the roof, right? They might not give you a line of credit to redo your cabinets, but they can give you a line of credit to, hey, I got to get the roof done. And then you look at even further, you actually have government backing the roof. So one of the things people miss a lot is city grants because cities, counties, states know, hey, if we start losing the roof in this neighborhood, hey, we lose the home, values plummet, nobody wants to live here, people move out, people are moving more than ever. So you actually have things even like city grant on top. And that's just to name a few, you're talking about four major influences and money that can come into the home that's outside of the homeowner. So again, we talked about buzzwords and not liking buzzwords. So uh, recession-proof is about as buzzy as it gets, but golly, it's about as recession-resistant as you're going to find in home services. I love it. And you have financing companies, right? So you can help finance the projects in addition to HELOCs. I didn't even mention that. Yeah, we actually have exclusive partnership with third-party vendors who do that as well. Again, they outsource financing. So that, there you go. There's five. Yeah. So it's all incredible. So what's so nice about that is it doesn't necessarily depend on the personal financial situation, income of that particular household, because you have insurance, there's financing, they can tap into home equity, there's those city grants. So there's a lot of options there. So that all sounds great to me, man. I agree. I don't think there's anything that's recession proof, but I do think there are things that are recession resistant that industries that do fare better than others during times of recession. Well, awesome, man. Well, I think that that's a good place to leave it. We've talked a lot about the model. I think what you guys have all done at Mighty Dog is incredible. There's a reason it's in such high demand and you guys have, what would you say, 250 franchisees now? I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Earlier this week, 250. I think we officially said about 258. As of this morning, it's growing rapidly because, again, people are seeing what we're doing. It's being done the right way and it's really matching people's response. We have a phrase around here we like to use as being intelligently aggressive. And that's where it's really important to have all the infrastructure that we have is that we can help others achieve their dreams of owning their own business, of financial stability, of hell right now, diversifying their portfolio with everything going on in a very healthy way with what we've done. So it's been a ride and love everything about it. Love it, man. 
Well, thanks so much again for hopping on. Anyone that's listening, if you think Mighty Dog is something that might be of interest to you, reach out to us. We'll help you figure out if it's the right fit based on your background, your skill sets. We'll have that conversation with you. But you know, I can say that what they're doing over there, what you guys are doing, Josh, is just unbelievable. So thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Make sure you share with your friends, let people know, subscribe, leave a review, make it honest. You know, we can take the heat, but give us an honest review. We appreciate all of that. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.